재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 News Digest. Let's get some analysis on some of the top news stories of the past week. First, joining us, our good friend from Asan Institute for Policy Studies, research fellow Dr. Kim Ji Yoon. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, interesting week in politics, Dr. Kim. First, uh, An Chol Su and Chan Jung Bae. They are the two co-chairmen of the uh, People's Party. They both resigned on Wednesday, uh, assuming responsibility for this uh, burgeoning kickback scandal involving uh, several party members. I guess give us your sense of what the political play is is here with the resignations, and do you think An Chol Su's Resignation, as well as the dynamics of his ambitions for next year's presidential elections, are affected. Well, so by this instant, uh, Mr. Anjusu returned officially, Mr. Withdrawal. So mm-hmm. how many times he withdrew from yeah. any polls and he's a uh, candidate? But anyways, um, you know, you have to remember that uh, the People's Party and Mr. Anjusu always and consistently uh, stated that his party is going to change the whole political culture, particularly the. Corrupt uh, bribery and uh, unlawful or illegal the political um, the fund. So it's a very uh, serious scandal which uh, will cause some damages, a lot of damages to People's Party and Mr. An, and also the Mr. Wang and Mr. Park Sun Su who are actually being investigated are very close to Mr. An Chol Su. So that means, well, maybe Mr. An Chol Su would have known it before. So it's very suspicious. suspicious. So I think Mr. An decided that it's better to, you know, get it, uh, get it done as soon as possible. And I mean, we have more than a year left until the presidential election. So uh, before uh, it gets um, you know, out of control, let's just cut it out everything and then disconnect and show the people that he's not really related to all the scandal. And then after a while, probably he will subsume a little bit and then... Uh, next year, he probably get back to the the surface of the People's Party. So that I think is the plan. Okay, uh, and that's an interesting plan. Uh, this is all assuming that the People's Party survives this, right? And so, <laughs> yeah. well, how they handle this crisis? They don't have strong leaders right now. They have an interim chief who is Park Ji Won, mm-hmm. which is kind of a strange situation because he's been such a stalwart of the uh, traditional opposition mm-hmm. party, and now he's. Uh, how do you think they're going to work this out? Well, I think it's his third time to take an interim leadership uh-huh. role, so he should be very used to it. Yeah. Um, well, actually, his plan was the you know, next convention, which was scheduled next year. Uh, he was going to challenge for the new leadership, because by the time Mr. An is going to be busy for preparing for the presidential bid. Uh, so it came a little bit too early than he expected. Um, well, but... I mean, it's kind of the conventional for the uh, floor leader is going to take the interim leader if anything really serious uh, crisis happens in the party. And also, well, I mean, they, the, the People's Party was in the process of organizing regionally, and that regional organization thing has been undone yet. And as we all know, Mr. Park ji is actually sort of a representative of Honan region, mm-hmm. and which is a very core region for People's Party as of now. So, well, in that sense, I think he's the one actually have to take control of it uh, because, you know, by doing so, he can probably prohibit all the Hunam uh, electorates uh, get out of the, the party and move back to the MPK. Interesting. Uh, you don't feel then there is necessarily an existential threat to this party as of yet? Well, we'll have to see it because um, prosecutors' investigation has not been finished yet. Right. 
uh, well, the Mr. Wang and Ms. Park are probably uh, they were convicted, I guess. Mm-hmm. But if that in that case, then the People's Party is going to be uh, facing a really big crisis. Uh, and already, the Chinese Party is actually criticizing. Uh, uh, the People's Party bad. Well, it's not done yet. I mean, you do not really think you can get out of the responsibility by just resigning those two co-chips. Yeah. Uh, well, it's a big trouble, and of course, tarnish this reform image greatly, but it still will maintain uh, the casting vote, and we still have a lot of time before the presidential election, so we have to see until the investigation is finished. Let's talk about how this affects other uh places in the political realm, you assume the ruling party, or at least even the Park administration, if mm-hmm. something's damaging to the opposition, that's great news for them, but uh, these two guys were strong leaders of a party that was supposed to be that so-called casting vote. Uh, do you think this is good or bad for the Park administration in their remaining uh, year and a half? Well, I think uh, Senior Party experienced its own troubles, <laughs> really yeah. bad, and um, I don't really see that um, anything to do with the, uh, the Blue House or President right. Park or Century Party. It probably will help MPK because it was supposed to compete next year's presidential election against, um, you know, Mr. Anchor Su and his party for the unified ticket. So it's only uh, good for the MPK, but, well, it's okay. not necessarily really good news for Henry. Right. Well, let's talk about the MPK, because as yes. you say, if this is zero-sum and we're rivals <laughs> and you lose, I gain. But mm-hmm. the MPK also has a bit of a problem of its right. own. Seo Young-kyu, and this was so blatant that it angered so many people, hiring mm-hmm. these family members, close relatives to these uh, very plush aid mm-hmm. positions. Um, there's been two separate apologies from the uh, temporary chairman Kim Jong-in um, right. how do you make this how do you make of this uh, scandal well you know I think she's kind of conventionalized and I also think we all too well know that it was going on actually right. uh, uh, the MPK leadership actually um, is demanding her to leave the party voluntarily and also uh, Ms. Tao I said that she's going to follow uh, the party's rule and the party's decision, so it's going to be finished soon. And, well, you know, but it's not only for the MPK. The Henry Party also have the same problem, right. actually. And they, uh, Ms. Park in has also revealed that she also hired a relative at the age position. Yeah, and it, it's, uh, it's an amazing development. Um, Representative Park has actually been mm-hmm. guest on our program several times for various health <laughs> uh, really? policy issues. Uh, th- that means Henry's hands are not clean, and that's why they quickly pass those uh, internal mm-hmm. laws, right, or rules right. about uh, um, th- you have to be fourth cousin separated at least to <laughs> even be considered. Is nepotism, though, and like you said, it was almost cynical, but nobody was really shocked. This, this happens mm-hmm. all the time, right? Right. Well, it's kind of political culture, and I would say that the immature the National Assembly as an institution, and that's the thing to be blamed for. Uh, in the politics in Korea, it's largely um, heavy, heavy depend on uh, the personal characters and also very personal business, like a small business. And age and the staff are not really uh, very professional. I mean, most a lot of people are professional, but in some cases, they're not really as, as professional as the cases in the United States. I mean, yeah. congressional staff, they really professional, very intelligent, well with the knowledge, and sometimes more experienced than the person he or she is caring for. 
So this is really one serious job, and that kind of system is not really instituted yet here in Korea. So I hope that Korea is going to have that kind of system as well. Yeah, we all hope so. Final political issue here. There was a transcript of a phone conversation that was leaked. It was um, between Senori Party Representative Lee Jung-hyun, right. who really has built up his image, right, because of being the son of Honam and being, you know, mm -hmm. a, a guy who can win elections in the opposition stronghold. But this was when he was a senior presidential press secretary. Uh, mm -hmm. The seeming contents of this was that he was trying to manipulate media coverage of the Sehelo uh, right. Ferry tragedy. What are your thoughts on this uh, potential scandal? Uh, this is crazy. Because <laughs> 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 uh, there was, um, well, speculation of that. And it's, but, it, I mean, this is the first time that we actually have the outright clear evidence. Um, so there was an attempt to uh, bring the case uh, against Mr. Lee and Kakil before, I think you remember it was January, but there, it was um, um, dismissed because of lack of evidence. But we do have evidence right now. Uh, well, so I, I think there's a high possibility for those two people got, uh, you know, brought to the court because it's the violation of the telecommunication law and also... You know, it's a very clear abuse of power as a political official. So it's very, um, you know, likely that uh, at least the parties, opposition parties, are going to try to uh, file a suit against them. Right, and uh, they actually have uh, a majority combined to actually maybe mm -hmm. pass something like exactly. that. Exactly. As you say, again, to be cynical, a lot of people kind of already mm -hmm. sort of suspected this, but to see it now explicitly sort of come out in this kind of a phone transcript, uh, the credibility not just of maybe the current government or the ruling party, but just mm -hmm. the mainstream media now is such at an all-time low. It seems like it's going to be very hard to win the public's trust back if we're talking about the major terrestrial broadcast. Broadcasters. Right. I mean, it's a really interesting you know, finding so that the survey is, so, you know, there's the institution, the political institution, and how much people trust. Uh, in many other advanced countries, people have at least some trust level for the media. But in the case of Korea, people have really low level of trust in the media and the journalists. So that's it all. I mean, and it's, you know, now we see the, what is happening. So... That's really the tragic yeah. in, in a sense. We'll see how that fallout unfolds. Uh, a lot of scandals brewing uh, all over mm -hmm. the place. Dr. Kim, thank you so much as always for the wonderful analysis. We hope you have a great weekend. Thank you, Henry. All right. That was Dr. Kim Ji-yoon from Asan Institute for Policy Studies. Uh, joining us now to discuss some North Korean issues, we've got political science professor from Busan National University, Robert Kelly. Hello. Hi, Robert. Uh, hi, Ernie. Thanks, uh, nice to talk <laughs> well, to good to talk to you again as well, Robert. Uh, just let's jump around some of these issues with North Korea. Sure. Uh, Kim Jong-un gets a new title. Uh, the Supreme People's Assembly um, says that he's the chairman of the State Affairs Commission. Um, is this window dressing? Uh, what's different with the uh, National Defense Commission? What do you make of this? Sure. Um, I mean, 90% you know, of it is window dressing insofar as this doesn't mean um, that North Korea is becoming any more pluralist any more open. This doesn't mean that political power won't be concentrated on the Kim family. Um, there is no sort of indication that this means any kind of opening up, you know, elections or anything like right. that. Um, instead, this looks like uh, a sort of renaming project. Now, North Korea, of course, has done this before. The North Koreans are actually uh, quite adamant about updating their constitution to fit their various bureaucratic reorganizations. Um, I think that the, this one, what this indicates where, where this is important is that um, when he ruled from the NDC, from the National 
National Defense Commission. That suggested the military first, the Songun policy of his father was really central to national policy and that everything else was going to be subordinated to national security. Now he's sort of running from this more general sort of state affairs commission, right, which suggests that maybe there are other priorities besides the military, and that could indicate that he's more interested in economic development, which is a theme that people have been talking about with Kim Jong-un's rule. So if we look at this from, let's say, a, a normal state's lens, uh, it is um, kind of adding to his portfolio, giving him perhaps more legitimacy in the eyes of the public in North Korea, and uh, I guess if we're talking about his grip on power, furthering his mandate to, to do what he wants in terms of the, the direction he wants to take the country? Yeah, I think all that is more or less accurate. Um, I mean, North Korea is not really like you know other states where these analogies don't work particularly well, especially with democracies, but I would, I would suggest that the best analogy for this is the somewhat old model from the Cold War of a Communist Party's Politburo. Um, which is to say the Politburo was sort of like the central oligarchic council at the top of any kind of communist state, and that's where you brought in a lot of the big names um, who represented various factions inside the party. So you would have somebody from the military there, you would have somebody from industry, you would have somebody from the party, somebody from the intelligence services, things like that. And and the Politburo was where all these sort of various factional heads were sort of brought together, and together they negotiated national policy so as to prevent factionalization and any kind of like outbreak of you know, of violence or, or political struggle or anything else. And so my guess is, my read of this thing is that, that, that that's what this is, except with a more civilian tint mm. than the National Defense Council, because the National Defense Council was filled, as you might have, our commission was filled with generals, and this has a majority of civilian officials. And I think that's the, that's the, the marker that people are hanging on. Very interesting. Let's talk North Korean diplomacy now. Um, a key official of North Korea's wor ruling Workers' Party held talks on Tuesday with a uh, visiting special envoy of the Cuban president, Raul Castro, uh, trying to, I guess, boost bilateral relations. Early this month, officials also from North Korea visited Vietnam and Laos. Uh, these are all traditional I guess, uh, so-called allies of North Korea. Are, are, are we seeing something um, of a pattern here? Are they trying to maintain close relations, especially when they feel more isolated, especially when we saw um, the South Korean foreign minister make that very historic visit to Havana? Yeah, I think that this is because the South Koreans are doing a pretty good job, better than I think people expected, of trying to rustle up global support to uh, maintain the sanction regime around North Korea. Um, you know, North Korea has traditionally evaded that by, you know, like running weapons factories in, you know, African states or something like that, right? Or, you know, exporting labor to Russia or, um, you know, um, 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 the Gulf or something mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, this has, as people have really begun to sort of identify, this has acted as sort of like a pipeline for dollars and, and external resources to come back into the regime. Right? We know that the North Koreans who work in these places are continually labor. There was a big flap over the fact that Poland, which is a member of the EU, actually had granted visas to North Korean workers, and that sort of became a big thing a couple, like a month ago. Um, and so I think what's going on now is the South Koreans have been running around the globe, literally, I mean, sort of yeah. like from one country to another, and they've been doing a better job than I think a lot of people expected. And I imagine there are probably all kinds of deals being cut in the, in the background and stuff like that. But South Korea, of course, has much greater resources to offer any country sort of thinking about tilting towards the north or the south. I mean, the north doesn't have a whole lot to offer where South Korea can offer, you know, investment and trade deals and, you know, this and that and, you know, student exchanges and stuff like that. And so my sense is that's starting to bite and the, uh, the, the North Koreans have to respond. They have to sort of, you know, hit back. And so the place to start is the people they've known for a long time. You know, you mentioned 
what is sort of Laos and Cambodia and, and uh, Cuba. I mean, these are the only countries that are still technically, you know, communist. Well, Cambodia's not anymore, but, you know, but Laos right. and, and Cuba are still technically Marxist. So, you know, if the North Koreans are going there, that suggests they're kind of desperate. Yeah, and we just mentioned maybe, you know, there are these high-profile visits by the president, uh, the foreign minister to Cuba, of course, the president visiting uh, uh, several African states, including Uganda, who made this very dramatic about-face right. in terms of their right. defense cooperation with North Korea. The vice defense minister, Hwang In-moo, now uh, visiting Cambodia, set to visit Laos, uh, both countries this Week And it's kind of interesting because, again, um, these are countries that uh, North Korea would like to depend on. But right. uh, we're both seeing the strategy here. It's interesting, right? Like, let's say you had that old buddy from, from the hood that you're always hanging out with, but he's sort of um, like you. You know, they're kind of rough around the edges. You don't have a solid job. And then, you saw, and then all of a sudden this uh, yeah. really rich millionaire guy says, hey, I'd like <laughs> to be your buddy, but you got to stop <laughs> hanging out with that other, other right. loser. And so that's kind of what's going on. Yeah, it is. It is, and and I mean, if by if this helps by way of analogy, the 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 East and West Germans did this too, and China and Taiwan have done this too, right? Wherever you have these nations that are divided into two states, you get this sort of inherent competition over legitimacy and who's the real China, who's the real Germany, who's the real Korea. And the Cold War was actually characterized by these sorts of competitions, right? So what the South Koreans and the North Koreans are doing now, this sort of like global, you know, diplomatic offensive, is they try to sort of jockey each other into a corner. We've seen that before. And like you said, um, you know, the millionaire, right, the South mm-hmm. Koreans in this case, the West Germans 30 years ago, have way more resources to offer, right? And not just, not just South Korea itself sort of offering money. I mean, I suppose they could. But also, you know, a relationship with South Korea unlocks a relationship with a lot of other states, too, right? I mean, if you're Uganda and you have a reputation of helping North Korea and suddenly you get along with South Korea, that also opens up better relations with Japan, the United States, the Europeans, Right, so yeah. that would be my guess is that this is what the South Koreans are suggesting. Is look, there's a whole stream of other countries that you can get on board with, but you've got to cut this. You've got to cut this North Korean umbilical, and you know, and the UN is taken seriously in a lot of these places too, right? I mean, you know, in, in wealthy countries, you tend to sort of think the UN is just like one more organization out there, but in Africa, the UN actually has a lot of prestige. And right. So when the UN came down pretty hard on North Korea this year, harder than a lot of people I think expected, my guess is that sort of rang true with some of the diplomacy. I bet that's why this is working. Yeah, and speaking of diplomacy, I mean, besides all of that activity with South Korea and North Korea sort of jockeying among uh, North Korea's traditional buddies and, and trying to see who can kind of curry favor here and there, uh, North Korea, on the other hand, they've been for quite a while now, uh, I guess for, from their perspective, extending an olive branch, saying we'd like to talk about various issues. We'd like to have um, heads of our various ministries uh, meet and engage on certain things. Um, South Korea has up to now been fairly adamant that none of these offers are sincere. Um, unless you put denuclearization on the table, there is no really point for further dialogue. Uh, so there was the latest offer for talks in August between um, various political parties as well as uh, social groups. Um, I guess, first of all, the, the sole position is quite clear, but North Korea, what are they trying to do right now? Well, I think they're trying to break out of their isolation. I mean, they really are genuinely getting, you know, like we were saying before, I think they're really getting painted into a corner on this. Um, I think this might be one of the reasons why you've seen this sort of shift towards more discussion of the economy also, because you know, the nuclear program has really, really alienated them. You know, North Korea is much more isolated than it was in the past. It's got terrible relationships with just about everyone, right? And only really China is keeping it afloat. Right? I mean, China is like the last leg. If that leg changes, if that leg is kicked away, if Beijing decides, well, you know, North Korea has become an albatross, and 
We need to get rid of them. You know, North Koreans are in real trouble. So my guess is, this is what the North Koreans are thinking, is that, you know, wow, it's like the backlash to this thing, has, you know, to the nuclear program particularly, you know, has really sort of really left us out there in the cold. And the South Koreans are actually doing an increasingly good job of isolating us. I think that's pretty important here. I mean, you know, we pick on Park Geun-hye's administration all the time because of the corruption and whatever, like your previous guest was mm-hmm. talking about and stuff. But, you know, they've actually done a pretty good job on this. And the South Koreans have done a lot of grunt work, right? They've gotten out there and done the sort of unhappy business of sort of flying all over the world and meeting all these people and, you know, shaking hands and, you know, whatever, you know, drinking tea with these guys saying, will you do this, will you do that? I mean, right. South Koreans are putting in a lot of work and it's starting to pay off. And now the North Koreans, I think, are nervous. I think the, you know, the South Koreans just don't want to come to the table, though, because the nuclear issue is now just taking over everything. Sure. I mean, nuclear, you know, North Korean nuclear weapons have pushed human rights, political change, all the other issues in North Korea just off the table because people are just terrified of North Korea's nuclear weapon, a permanent deployable arsenal. I mean, people are just freaked out about that. Interesting. As always, uh, Robert, thank you very much for the analysis. Talk to you again soon. Sure. Thanks for having me. It was good to talk to you.